Welcome to Click, Treat, Repeat. This is a horse-focused podcast discussing positive reinforcement training, equine management and welfare, and other horse-related topics. So let's get started. Okay, so today we're going to be talking about what motivates horses and how horses learn. We're going to go over a little bit of the basics and then also get into some more interesting, less talked about areas. Chloe, do you want to start by giving the basics maybe of the four quadrants and I can help if you want me to? Yeah, sure. So positive reinforcement is what we mainly talk about here. And it's just positive as a scientific meaning. It's addition. We're adding something appetitive that they enjoy to increase the behavior and encourage it to repeat basically. And then negative reinforcement would be like your pressure and release type training where you're removing pressure to increase the behavior. So like if you're putting leg on your horse's side to ask them to move forward, you're going to release when they start to walk forward or pick up their pace or whatever. And then positive punishment is adding an aversive to decrease behavior. So like, I mean, it's kind of tricky to decipher between negative reinforcement and positive punishment sometimes, but you're adding something. So we'll say like a whip behind the horse's butt in a lunging session. And we're adding that whip to decrease the lazy, in quotations, behaviors, the standing still or walking and not picking up their pace. And then negative punishment is the removal of something appetitive that they enjoy to decrease behavior. So that would be like in clicker training when you withhold a click and you withhold your reinforcements or in other aspects of training, it'd be kind of hard to apply with a pressure and release based training because you're not really offering a lot of appetitives usually, but it'd be like removing a horse's feed bucket if they're getting mouthy or something like that. Yeah, that makes sense. I think an example that I remember that I used to do for for negative punishment is that when Coco would paw a lot, she used to paw a lot when I was basically like doing self-care and I would feed her because she didn't have 24-7 access to forage at that point. So yeah, she would paw a lot. And at that point, I was just like, oh, she's being bad. So I would either not give her the food or take the food away if she was pawing and then give it back when she stopped pawing. So like, obviously that wasn't a good way of handling that, but that is, I think that's kind of what people were telling you to do in that situation. So I think that's similar to what you mentioned, like the situation where a traditional trainer might use that. Yeah, I think that's the way it would be most commonly used. And that's what I've seen the most, or like removing yourself from the equation, which happens a lot in dog training, not so much horses. Okay. I think that was a really good overview. I don't really have too much to add. Sorry for putting you on the spot with it, but I know you know it very well. So yeah, that's okay. So I guess one thing we could talk about is are all of these types of learning equal, like in terms of ethics and effectiveness? Like, do you think that there's some that are better than others? Obviously we're positive reinforcement trainers, so we're going to kind of have a preference towards that one, but I don't know, maybe in general, we could talk about that. I feel like in terms of effectiveness, positive reinforcement probably does work the best, but I do think, as we mentioned in previous episodes, some courses can handle some pressure and release, and it can be really helpful in effectiveness. It's not necessarily the most ethical, in my opinion, but it can sometimes create some pretty quick results. I mean, obviously, I'm going to push for positive reinforcement because that's (laughs) what I do, but I don't think that... Other forms of training are ineffective. I think it just comes down to ethics and your own personal morals. 
Yeah, I agree with that. Like you said, obviously, I'm going to advocate for positive reinforcement because that's the type of training that I do. And I think in general, it tends to be more ethical. Um, You can definitely do some other types like negative reinforcement. You can do it in a more ethical way. But I think positive reinforcement is the hardest to be unethical with, in my opinion. And in terms of effectiveness, I think they all are effective and they all can teach behavior I mean it's literally learning theory it's like they're proven to all be effective we can't really dispute that but I think that some of them are a lot harder to do logistically than others they all require some amount of precision and some amount of like really good timing but I think especially with positive punishment you really and probably negative punishment as well you really need to be very careful with when you do that when you you know administer the punishment otherwise the horse isn't going to know what you're punishing and it's not going to be a a very effective form of training. And the same thing can definitely happen with positive reinforcement and negative reinforcement. You know, if you remove the pressure at the wrong time or you click and treat it for the wrong thing, then that can also be ineffective. But I think particularly punishment is really difficult to get that exact timing. Yeah, I talked to a couple of balance trainers recently for whatever reason, they ended up in my my chats. But for dog training, I've actually learned that some balance trainers will use a marker signal for before they do punishment, which I still don't want to use punishment. Obviously, it's just not, it's not ethical in my opinion, but I do wonder if that changes the effectiveness of the punishment when it's used. Yeah, that's really interesting. I've never heard of that. And I also wonder if you could get to kind of like a partial reinforcement or partial, you know, punishment schedule with that where you could do the marker and not do the punishment and the dog would still, you know, react to it the same way and still feel as though they were getting the punishment. I think that's really interesting. I still don't think it would be a good method of training personally, but to some people's perspective, it maybe could be less unethical if it gets to the point where you don't actually have to administer any punishment and it just kind of becomes like a no signal to the dog I think that's kind of an interesting thought yeah I mean I still wouldn't do it of course no, I like, still wouldn't do it <laughs> like we said but I do wonder if it would kind of decrease the level of stress that they might feel when someone is using pon- positive punishment kind of a slippery slope and hard to really say because I know that it can be inherently stressful because it's painful or scary or intimidating or just possibly just like discomfort like there's all kinds of things that are negative that are associated with punishment obviously I think most of us growing up have experienced some level of punishment and obviously none of us enjoy it (laughs) yeah (laughs) that's very true and I think something that we try to stress a lot in this podcast and just in general is that harm and violence don't have to be physical you can still be abusive to an animal without actually doing any type of physical violence to them. So if they're still experiencing a very negative mental or emotional reaction to it, then I would say that that is still not, you know, force-free training and is not as ethical as we're trying to be here. Um, and other people may not see that as, as much of an issue, but even if they could get it to a point where they're not physically applying any punishment to the dog, it could still be um, to us unethical. Yeah, because it's a matter of how it was taught in the first place and not so much what they're doing in the current moment. Yeah, it goes back to natural horsemanship. (laughs) Mm -hmm, Exactly. 
So that wasn't really related to our topic at all, but I thought it was interesting and (laughs) worth mentioning. (laughs) I mean, it's kind of related. I think it is interesting. I mean, the same concept could maybe be applied to horses. I don't know about that. I mean, I would assume it probably could, but um, I don't think many people are really trying to do that right now, hopefully. (laughs) (laughs) I do know of one person who uses like a no marker signal, but they're not applying positive punishment to it. They're more using it like if the horse isn't getting the right answer. They're trying to provide them information with like, oh, that's not quite it. Let's try something else. But that's a little different. I'd still argue that that could be potentially stressful when the horse starts to learn what that cue means. But if you're using it as like, oh, I'm not going to click you for that. I think it's a lot different than saying, oh, if you don't do this, I'm going to whip you. Yeah, that's a really good point. And that reminds me too of something that I've noticed is some positive reinforcement trainers that I've seen will say no but the horse actually has like no knowledge of like what that means because it hasn't actually been you know reinforced or punished or anything so they just hear the word no and it's just like nonsense to them but it's just like something that the the trainer says for themselves which I think is there's just no point in saying it at that point but it is also important to remember that it's not the word that is affecting the horse it's how you're backing it up with reinforcement or punishment yeah one thing my my colleagues in the dog training world will say to people is that like dogs don't know English so like if we're telling them to do a certain behavior before they've learned it or punishing them by saying no they don't know what that means until we give it a meaning and the same applies to horse training yeah that's so true yeah so that was all off topic, but <laughs> not not completely, but <laughs> yeah, I think that was definitely not our most off topic moment. <laughs> not at all. We've had much worse. Yeah, for sure. Okay, so I don't really know exactly where we want to take it, but I was kind of thinking about discussing different types of learning. Like I did some research on desensitization, sensitization, classical conditioning, operant conditioning, discrimination learning, and observational learning as like major points of learning. So we can discuss those or I don't know, like, where do you want to go with it? I mean, that sounds good to me. That's a lot of things to cover, but we can, yeah. <laughs> we can at least get the basics of all of them yes. out. Okay. So the first one that I looked at was desensitization and basically I think most people are familiar with this regardless of what type of training they do, but it's basically just the horse learning through exposure to something to accept it or become used to it and basically stop reacting to it. Like if it's originally scary or bad to them in some sense and they're having a negative reaction to it by kind of being exposed to it, they'll eventually become less reactive to it. And this can be done in very small systematic steps in a way that's pretty comfortable for the animal and pretty Um, not upsetting, but it can also be done by flooding, which we've talked about where you just kind of put the animal into a really stressful situation where they're basically just being flooded with this stimulus that is not pleasant for them. And so they just kind of have to endure that until they get to the point where they basically shut down. So that's basically what it is. I don't know. What do you have to add? (laughs) The only thing I have to add really is that it can also just be done without like formally training, just gradual exposure to it not necessarily using positive reinforcement or just making them kind of wait it out and figure out that they just have to shut down and ignore it. But like if you, I live on a farm, so I'll just say tractors because that's a big trigger for my dogs. But like if I wanted them to stop reacting to the tractors without 
having a formal training session, I could expose them to it from afar where they can just barely hear or see it. And then I could gradually work up to having it closer and closer, obviously keeping them within their threshold. But eventually, hypothetically, I could have it like right outside the window and they wouldn't react to it. Yeah, that's a good point. And that, yeah, that makes sense. I think really just emphasizing that it's good to take small steps and keep the animal below their threshold with desensitization, which you just emphasized. I think that is really important. Yeah. And like the traditional way that we desensitize a horse is just to like throw things onto them or flap things or whatever until they stop reacting basically. And that's, as you mentioned, that's flooding. It's not really desensitization. I guess you could argue that it is because at the end they're not reacting, but that's not what I'm talking about if I say desensitization. Yeah, exactly. I think it's it's kind of like people from traditional training and positive reinforcement will use the word desensitization, but they're referring to two pretty different psychological processes there, even though there may be some type of similarity in the end result that we're seeing externally in the internal mind of the learner. There's actually a pretty different experience going on there. Right. And then along with desensitization, there's counter conditioning. And that's kind of really similar from my understanding of it and what I've seen and read. But you're basically turning an already negative experience into a positive one. So I don't know, when I think of desensitization, it's more like something they may have not been exposed to yet, or maybe only in small amounts. And then counter conditioning would be more like something they already have really strong emotions towards. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I think I see it pretty much the same way. One thing I've tried to work on, I guess, with that is Mimi really doesn't like the cross ties. So sometimes I'll take her to the cross ties and just give her some treats and give her some food and just kind of stand there and make it like a positive space for her. And then just, you know, stay there for a minute or two and then go back so that she's kind of getting in the cross ties and being like, oh, you know, this is typically a negative place for me, but actually I just had a really positive experience here and then she'll hopefully start to have different associations with that space even though I'm not like the biggest fan of cross ties in general I think it's a good skill for the horse to have since there are cross ties there and she's going to be put in the cross ties right and cross ties are like they can be good for farriers and trims and stuff and vet work so they have a place but I don't really enjoy them too much either like if I trim my horses I'll normally just have someone hold them for me and feed them treats but not everyone can do that. So I understand why using cross ties might be something people want to do. Yeah, exactly. I'm not even usually there for my horse's farrier appointments since I'm not their owner. So I basically have no control over that. But I just try to do like the little things that I can to get them into, you know, seeing it as a more positive thing to be in the cross ties. Right. I think with both of these, I guess, processes, it's important to just really break it down Even if you're going to use negative reinforcement, you can always break things down farther into these teeny tiny pieces that to you might seem ridiculous, but it'll help you in the long run. (laughs) Yeah, that's a good point. I think small steps is pretty much essential to any type of training. Mm -hmm. And then paying attention to what your animal is trying to communicate with you. Obviously, if they're above threshold, you want to take a step back and maybe stay in an easier area for a while. And then you can gradually work up to making it more challenging. Yeah, that's that's really good. That's a really good point. I guess another kind of, I guess, the opposite of desensitization, which is not used very commonly in training really too much, is sensitization, which is, you know, the exact opposite, teaching the horse to 
become more sensitive or reactive to a stimulus instead of teaching them to not react to it. Um, I was kind of having trouble thinking of an example of this in training just because it is so, I don't know, I don't think many people would intentionally do this. Possibly you can think of one, but the only thing I could really think of is more of just like a negative association with something more so than sensitization. But like if the horse's mane is pulled painfully a few times, then they may start to see, you know, scissors or something that you're using in that process and kind of associate that with the pain and the negative experience. And so they're getting sensitized to that object, but that's not an intentional training thing. That's also just something that unintentionally would happen. Yeah, I definitely agree that handling would be a good example of that, even if it's not intentional. The only thing I can really think of off the top of my head would be like scent work, which I'm thinking dogs, people do with horses too, because we're encouraging them to alert us when they smell something, when they smell a certain odor or scent. So I, I guess that would kind of be a good example that's not a negative experience necessarily. Oh yeah, that is a good example. I didn't think of that at all, but that's that's a really good one. That's the only thing I could really think of. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of a weird one. I don't think many people are intentionally doing that. I mean, I guess in general, people who use negative reinforcement do want the horse to be sensitive to their aids. They want the horse to be sensitive to spurs or to a crop or whatever. So I think that's that's kind of maybe could be used with that. But I think it's more so that those things are just inherently a negative thing for the horse and they cause pain for the horse. So it's not really anything being sensitized. It's just kind of, that's just a physically negative experience. Yeah, um, I can think of one more thing. I don't know if it'd be completely sensitization, but uh, I went to Midwest Horse Fair a couple years ago, and they have this one competition thing where basically the horses just run around like freaks because they're terrified, and whichever horse gets the most crowd engagement basically wins. Very bizarre, <laughs> but for that, obviously they're going to be encouraging the horse to be sensitive to those sounds or like their whip swinging around and things like that so that could possibly be an example of that yeah that's a really bizarre thing that anyone would ever do but yeah yeah I live in Wisconsin so it's all rodeo stuff oh my gosh yeah I mean I live in the south so right. I kind of relate but yeah it's interesting yeah I don't think I would be going to that event but maybe maybe just to see like what it was at this point, I just go there for the tax sale, and that's about it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, and then I guess getting into more well-known ones, although those were pretty well-known anyways, um, classical conditioning, which basically is where you pair an unconditioned stimulus, which is an, just kind of a stimulus that the animal naturally finds reinforcing to them, and you pair that with a conditioned stimulus, which is something that you are conditioning them to find rewarding and then it eventually will elicit the same response. Like the classic example is Pavlov's bell. So Pavlov will ring the bell and then immediately feed the dogs. And so eventually when the dogs hear the bell, they just go ahead and associate that with the food and they'll start salivating. I mean, I think that's just the classic example of it. Yeah, that's definitely the one that I hear the most and that I tell people too. And then obviously it's the same exact effect with our clicker or if we use a verbal marker sound. Yeah, exactly. And then that goes into operant learning where 
the animal is kind of interacting with the environment in order to get rewarded or to avoid a punishment. So yeah, I think that's kind of like classical conditioning is kind of the base and then it kind of works with operant learning to interact on the environment. Yeah, and then operant would be the quadrants that we covered already right in the beginning. Yes. I don't think I have much else on that. Yeah, I think that's, I think we really covered operant pretty well. Um, Yeah, those are pretty straightforward too, for the most part. And then I also was thinking about discrimination learning, which is the ability to differentiate between objects. And I thought that that was kind of a really interesting thing to think about. I think it could be relevant in positive reinforcement. I'm not exactly sure how, but I do think that possibly differentiating between different cues or something that could maybe be an example of that. Like if you have two different hand cues that you do for two different things and the horse is able to see that you're making a different, you know, motion or shape with your hand and to differentiate between that and know what cue you're saying. I guess that could be an example of it. I'm not sure. Yeah, the first thing I think of is like targets, like a stationary versus a moving target. They can tell the difference between each. And then also naturally I have a dog example because why wouldn't I? (laughs) But like Sage is really mouthy. So I've been teaching him that instead of biting me, he needs to go find a toy. So he's starting to differentiate like what he can and can't put in his mouth. Oh yeah, that's a really good example. I guess horses could learn that too. (laughs) They they can't (laughs) just be mouthy. (laughs) Should have used that for Phoenix in the beginning. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I hope you enjoyed this episode of Click, Treat, Repeat. Feel free to check us out on Instagram at Click, Treat, Repeat Pod. You can find Jen at Genuine Equine and myself at bonafide.bt. We upload new episodes every other Monday and hope to see you then. Happy training.